it's impossible to capture 365 days of ministry in four minutes, but you were able to see some highlights of what the Lord has done over the past year. A new year is a fitting time to look back and to see where we've come from, as well as look ahead and see where we're going. I've entitled this message today, Onward, which means to continue in a forward direction or to move forward. And our focus is Proverbs 4 in verse 25 to 27. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Proverbs 4, we'll read these verses one by one here in just a few moments. There are some clear parallels between the promised land in the Bible and the progress and journey of Christians as well as the church as we do the kingdom work of God and then the ultimate promised land in heaven. You remember that the promised land was given as a heritage to God's people Israel. It began when God appeared to Abram and told him that he had chosen him to be the father of a nation and through that nation all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The reason for that was the Messiah would come through Israel and would bless the nations. The boundaries of the promised land were from the river of Egypt, which was the Nile, to the Euphrates. And by the time Israel was ready to take the land, uh, hundreds of years later, it was inhabited by pagan nations. There were Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And in the midst of all of that, God was preparing his people to take it. Remember, the backdrop of it was that God had raised up Moses, and Moses had led the people out of bondage in Egypt, uh, and he gave the law to Moses as the leader of his people on Mount Sinai. A generation was delivered from Egypt, and then that generation died off in the wilderness on their journey toward the promised land. And the reason that they died off in the wilderness was because of their lack of faith. They were disobedient to God. The new generation was to go in and conquer these enemies that I just referenced and take possession of it. So Moses reviewed the history of their march through the wilderness. He announced the law to the generation again before they were getting ready to enter into the land. And he delivered the truth to them to prepare them. Coupled with that was Joshua. Joshua was the military leader. He was to lead the actual conquest in Canaan. And God's people were to enter the land and capture the cities Joshua led them to renew their covenant with the Lord as they were doing that. And this nation of pilgrims who were becoming settlers would not succeed unless they obeyed God. Now, you know the story, unfortunately, throughout the years, many of them, including even their kings and their priests, turned to idols and the godless nations around them. And they turned aside from what God had for them. As we think about our lives with God and who we are as a church and what we believe, we need to be sure that we're moving in the right direction and that we have a clear direction that we're going in. We believe that we have a clear and a compelling vision as a church that will continue to take us into the future. Along with that, we have a very straightforward framework that fits the vision that will help us get there and accomplish what God would have for us. By way of review, Cross Saints Baptist Church exists for the purpose of growing God's forever family. That's who we are. John 15 and verse 5 says that Jesus is divine. We're the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Our desire is to honor God as we see his forever kingdom grown. And that is both spiritual and numerical. 
as we do that the framework that I mentioned is worship small group ministry and mission the worship aspect of it is seeing people come to faith in Christ because they can't worship if they don't know him and then seeing people who know him grow as worshipers in in our devotion and dedication to the Lord we want to live lives of worship not just when we come together collectively like we are today small group is our foundational strategy for reaching people teaching them the word and ministering to their needs and we want you to connect with a Bible fellowship group if you haven't already uh, for those very things ministry relates to you being able to use the spiritual gifts that God gave you if you're saved you've been born again you're covered by the blood then God has indwelled you with his spirit he's gifted you and you're to use those gifts to advance his work and then finally mission is living your faith out and sharing it with others it's taking the gospel down the street and around the world so when we are faithful as a church when we're faithful as disciples we believe that we can expect God's power and blessing we're not making God do anything God works according to his sovereignty his providence but rather we are aligning ourselves with him with his word and with his spirit and we're asking him to bless us and work through us we believe people are going to come to faith in Christ and be baptized and we get to see that on a regular basis uh, in our church even though we want to see more we believe that disciples will be made and you say why does it matter if disciples are made well the better disciple that you are the better husband that you'll be or wife or child or parent or grandparent or friend because as our lives are changed it impacts everything around us and it makes us more effective in God's kingdom and then kingdom multiplication is going to take place I'm going to come back to that in just a moment and through it all God will be glorified by way of review we have much to be thankful for I won't try to highlight everything that we've worked on over the past year but I will mention just a few things in our ministry locally the Lord has blessed us with 18 baptisms and 18 other additions uh, to our church family. We have increased over the past year about 6% in our worship participation across the board. Our Bible fellowship has increased by 7.5%. And not only that, but the gap between our worship participation and our Bible fellowship participation uh, continues to get smaller meaning that more people are engaged in both and are experiencing the full uh, discipleship pathway that we have as a church. And then financially, as we closed out 2023, we exceeded our projections by 10%, meaning that actual receipts at the end of the year, collectively for the entire year, ended up 10% more than what we projected for the year or 110% would be another way to say it and these things have empowered us to do some things that I'm going to mention here in just a moment especially as it relates to our year-end giving each area of our ministries whether it be adults or students or children they all saw growth last year and we were able to see community events and vacation Bible school and ongoing weekly ministries to families fellowships school and community partnerships and more regionally and nationally our ministry has continued to partner with new church plants uh, we partnered with and continue to partner with uh, three church plants in west virginia we're concluding one from this past year uh, and we partner with one church plant in maryland uh, an important thing to know about that church when they launch is that the planter 
will be a fourth generation plant connected to our church so in other words we planted a church that planted a church that is now planting another church so what we're seeing is generational growth now not nearly as much as we want to we want to see that far greater than what it is but it's just a little snapshot of what can happen when God is at work and that relates to the Maryland plant and then one church plant in, in Indiana that's among a Spanish-speaking uh, group of people from multiple places and we've planted another church with that uh, planter as well internationally we currently have partnerships in Peru in South America you saw some of the pictures on the screen Prague in the Czech Republic we have two points of focus in Prague one is among the International Mission Board work specifically focusing on Czech peoples the other is among Eastern European immigrants that are from a number of different nations who are in a different part of the city who have planted a church and we've been partnering with them due to some connections uh, that we have from the past in Moldova we're in both the north and the south of the country that's in Eastern Europe where we've been since 2007 and then finally South Asia uh, where we continue to partner in uh, the mission of God now back to that outstanding year in giving through that year in giving as Pastor Danny mentioned earlier we were able to complete the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions uh, we helped to, to complete uh, they will be completing uh, the new sanctuary in one of the villages in Moldova that we've been working with for a while we're really excited about that we've already been doing some things but we're going to help them get across the finish line with the interior uh, we plugged into a new church plant in Brussels Belgium that has a connection to Moldova and they're already uh, growing greatly and seeing people come to faith and evangelism's at the center of that movement it's primarily Eastern European immigrants as well uh, but the Spirit of God is moving in their midst and then we have plans for West Virginia church planting as well as more uh, projects in Moldova in the coming year and we strengthened our position moving into the 2024 fiscal year you would also want to know that our church invested after these special year-end commitments we invested nearly a half million dollars in missions alone just outside the walls of our church uh, in the past year and that's because of your generosity and at the heart of who we are if you were to ask what are we about as a people in terms of what it means to grow God's forever family we are about the making of disciples and the multiplying of the work of God in his kingdom that's what we're about we want you to grow as a disciple of Jesus everything that we do will not only affect you it's going to affect your kids and your grandkids and hopefully generations to come and we want to make an impact in your life in that way and then we want to see that multiplying vision continue to be carried out and if you want to be part of something that's eternal something that is beyond the ordinary this is a good place to be uh, over the past two decades we have partnered with 32 new church plants some as primary sponsor and then at other uh, varying levels of sponsorship uh, in addition to that our prayer is that we would see that grow to more than 50 new church plants that we've been directly engaged with uh, in the coming years and by God's grace uh, even go beyond that none of this would be possible without the power of God and the faithfulness and generosity of his people so we want to always be mindful that this is a message about what God has done and is doing because the moment that we take the credit for it the moment that we put our stamp on it and say look what we did 
that's when our pride has gotten in the way and we're going to lose effectiveness because God's not going to compete uh, for his glory. I often say, and I've said this so many times and for so many years, I don't know where it came from. It's not original to me, but I have now claimed it as my own. That God won't let flow to us what we won't let flow through us. As a church, we are a river of God's blessings and not a reservoir. Let me say that again. God won't let flow to us what we won't let flow through us. And we are a river of God's blessing, not a reservoir. So what that means is we have to maintain open hands and generous hearts. And we have to continue to ask the Lord, Lord, what is your vision for, for this church, your church? What do you want your people to be involved in? And what do we want to see uh, happen by God's grace in the years to come? And I'm going to tell you, if we maintain that mindset and we continually humble ourselves before the Lord, then the years ahead are going to be better than the years behind. We're not done yet. We've not peaked. We're, we're moving in the direction that the Lord wants us to move in. We're going to get to be blessed by it and for it because we're a part of the family of God here. And then there are going to be many people in the world that are going to be blessed as well. Now for the balance of our time, let's look in our Bibles at Proverbs 4. This is applicable both to us collectively and to your life individually. You might remember that in Proverbs, Solomon is speaking as a father is to his son. He does something in Proverbs 4 that's a little bit interesting in the application. He broadens the application beyond just the son, and he's recalling, undoubtedly, the lessons that his father had taught him, King David, who was the greatest of the earthly kings. And the emphasis is on wisdom. Why is wisdom important? Because wisdom is the main thing. Wisdom is the emphasis here. And we're to love and to value and to honor wisdom because it brings honor and glory. But then the path with wisdom is contrasted with the path of wickedness. So the path of wisdom, if you will, is like the shining of the sun. It's bright and it's evident. But the path of wickedness or the way of wickedness is like the darkness. You can't see. It's murky. It's confusing. You might end up somewhere that you didn't want to end up. In Proverbs 4, in verse 20 to 27, he makes mention of the body at least 11 times. Eyes, feet, heart, flesh, lips, eyelids. We can dedicate every part of our being to the wisdom of God in our lives. Now, the heart of is, is of particular importance and it's to be guarded carefully. The Bible warns, after all, of avoiding a double heart, of being sure that you don't have a hard heart, of making sure that you don't have a proud heart or an unbelieving heart or a cold heart or an unclean heart. And we need to be sure that we have a clear idea of the direction the Lord would want us to go in so that we can not only reach the destination but enjoy the journey along the way. There's a story, a fictional story, about a man who lived at the base of a magnificent mountain. He wanted to go up to the top of this mountain, but he had never been before. It was nearby where he lived. Now, I want you to think about a significant mountain, not just a hill that you might climb in your backyard sometime on a Saturday afternoon. One morning, fueled by his curiosity and his determination, and having made preparations, he begins his trek up the mountain. The ascent begins with a winding trail through the trees. 
canopy widens. It reveals vistas of picturesque valleys below with the clouds settled in upon it. But it was a treacherous path. The weather had grown unpredictable, and he was tired. So along the way, he runs into a wise old mountaineer who shared words of guidance and assistance. Suddenly, the air begins to grow thin, the wind picks up, and then finally, after an arduous journey, he would reach the summit of the mountain, and the sun would have a golden glow. And he realized in that moment that the essence of his climb was not merely making it to the summit. The essence of his climb was to enjoy and to experience the journey that got him there. The difficulties, the good things, the hardships, as well as uh, the joyful experiences. Now, we can draw some principles from this story, as well as this metaphor of the promised land, once again about the Christian life. Now, we know, as Christians, that the ultimate destination is heaven. And I'd say most people, if they believe in heaven, want to go to heaven because they know that it's a good idea and it's a pleasant place. But maybe their vision of it is smaller than what the biblical vision of it is. And sometimes we get so focused on that and we get caught up in the pitfalls and the obstacles and the dangers along the way in this life that we kind of lose sight of the direction that we're going in. And I'm here to remind you today that God is at work in your life and mine and in his church right now. He's taking us on a journey and in a direction. And if we're in Christ, we are going to make it safely home. We're going to be together in heaven someday around the throne of God because of what Jesus has done. And in the meantime, we want to run our races well. And we want to continue onward in a way that honors the Lord. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, Fix your gaze straight ahead. Look now at verse 25 of Proverbs 4. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Now, I believe this indicates a clear direction. We are so overwhelmed in this age that we live in that sometimes it is very difficult to fix our gaze straight ahead on anything. We have all these things coming at us constantly through the media and through electronics and technology and life and people and and it's just a bombardment of distraction sometimes and they've done a lot of studies to try to look at how much time people lose at work on being distracted uh, we probably would not want a study of ourselves done in that regard but at any rate they also done studies about when people get interrupted how long does it take them to get back on task and in every study, it shows that when you get distracted, you're off focus of what you're trying to do. It's going to take you a good amount of time to get back to what you were actually doing and to have a good focus on it. Here, we're told that we're to fix our gaze straight ahead. And the word fix comes from a word that means to concentrate your gaze. So I think we can almost think about it like a, like a stare. So if I were to pick a point in the room and just stare then I would be fixing my gaze. You'd be fixing your gaze on something. That's what's indicated here. Kind of like a, a track coach telling a runner that when the sound goes off to start, you run and you don't look around. You keep your eyes fixed forward and you keep on running toward the finish line. Now, we know by way of cautionary tales, some experiences in the Bible where people lost focus or 
they were tempted to take their focus off of what was good to focus on something else. In fact, you don't have to go very far in the Bible to find an example like that. Uh, Adam and Eve would be an example. In Genesis, Eve sinned when her eyes were distracted from what God had said. And the Bible says that she saw that the tree that God had placed off limits was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And you know what she did? She took part of that forbidden fruit and she ate it. And when we look at the wrong things, it can distract us from the right things. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2 says in the New Testament. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance that the sin that so easily and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And it says, the pioneer or the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I've always been intrigued by this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And I think it's important to understand the context here because in Hebrews chapter 12, he's referring to this great cloud of witnesses. But if you remember the chapter before in Hebrews chapter 11, what's it about? It's about the hall of fame of the faith. So he tells us all these people, these are the terrifically difficult things that all these people experienced in their lives. And they didn't even see what it was that they were hoping for. But they continued on. And then he turns here in Hebrews 12 and he says, Listen, you need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. If you want to be like those people who bear witness to us of all that God can do, then you need to be like them and you need to fix your eyes on the hope. You need to fix your eyes on the promise. And whether these witnesses are, are described here are intended to be like witnesses who are looking and seeing what's going on or witnesses who has provided us a testimony, which I think is probably more likely in context. Either way, these are faithful people. And the writer of Hebrews says, look to Jesus if you want to be faithful. Fix your eyes on him in a sustained way because he's the motivation to keep you in the race. So think about it this way. Faith is what we need to be able to endure. And Jesus is the ultimate example of endurance. He's the one. He shows us the way. And we're warned here to lay aside every hindrance in the sin that ensnares us. I thought about a mission trip that I went on. It's actually the very first international mission trip that I'd ever gone on. It's some 25 years ago now. But it's a good memory, a, a good thought about uh, having that experience while I was in seminary. And I had never been, so I didn't really know, really know how to prepare for international travel. I'd never been anywhere internationally. I mean, I came from the country, and nobody gave good instructions, so I'm just bringing everything I possibly can that I might need. And we got on the airplane, we flew to what our city was that we were going to be getting on the bus, and then we got on the bus and we drove down into the north-central part of Mexico in a place called Piedras Negras. Well, what they failed to tell us was when we landed at the airport in San Antonio and then got on this big bus with all these people from the seminary, when we got to the border area of where we were going to cross and go do mission for the week, 
you had to stop a considerable distance from where the other bus actually was. So here we are, we're dragging our bags off and, and everybody's got their stuff piled up. There's some other country people there with me as well that brought too much and never been anywhere. And we drag our stuff off and we realize how far we've got to walk. And all of a sudden we pick those bags up and we just start walking. I'm sure we look like penguins walking down through there with the weight on either side, but we did get there. Now, you know what would have been helpful for me? Just to cast aside about half of what I was carrying. Just get rid of it. It had been a lot easier on my arms and a lot easier on me getting across the, the border to where we were going to, to serve on mission for the week. And that's an image of how we collect things in life that are ensnaring to us weight that is unnecessary baggage. Think about athletics. Athletes wear only what is necessary for competition. In whatever the particular sport is, they don't want to be hindered or ensnared. So what do they do? They wear what is fitting for that particular sport because they want to be able to compete in the sport. And so it is as we run this race of endurance that lies before us. And I believe that the importance of endurance cannot be minimized because there's a big difference. If somebody told you that you were going to run a race this afternoon, you say, okay, I can, I can try at least. And then they told you, you're going to run either 100 meters or you're going to run a marathon. And you don't know which one it is till you get to the starting line. Well, you'd be overwhelmed because you're thinking, I didn't prepare for a marathon. I'm not ready for this. I can't run that far. I might be able to make the 100 meters, but I'm not going to make it that far. And if you know how long it's going to be, it changes your perspective. So let me make an application point to this. If somebody told you that the Christian life is easy, they lied to you. And the reason that I'm saying that they lied to you is because we live in a sin-fallen world. And yeah, we're going to get to heaven in the presence of God, but it's going to be through many dangers, toils, and snares. That's how we're going to get there. And we need to understand that this is a spiritual marathon that we're running. And sometimes we just need somebody to look at us and tell us, you're going to make it. You keep on keeping on. You look to the next tree up there, and you just make it to the next tree. And when you get to that one, you go to the next one, and you just keep moving. A few months back, I had to make a, a visit somewhere in the state, and I got there quite early. And I had some extra time, so I thought, well, I'm going to get out and get a little walk here, and uh, decided to do that. So I start down this trail, and it's only about 45 minutes one way, and then, of course, about the same amount coming back. Not a lot of elevation change, and it was just a stroll for the afternoon. So I got down to where I was going, looked at the beautiful vista, took a few pictures, and I started back. Well, I got just a little ways from my start back, and this older lady rounds the corner, and she was struggling. I'm going to tell you, she was sweating, she was breathing kind of hard, and she looks at me holding onto the tree, and she says, how much further is it? And I said, well, I got good news for you. It's just around the bend. It's less than five minutes at a normal pace. And she leaned up against that tree and she said, oh, thank goodness, thank goodness. And she continued on. Now, if I'd have stood there and told her, it's probably about three more miles up, up there. <laughs> she would have turned around, I'm certain, and gone back to where she came from. So maybe today I'm just here, this is the part of the sermon that you need to hear. 
And the part of the sermon that you need to hear if you're tired and you're weary and you don't know for sure which direction to go and you're stressed out about life, keep moving forward. It's just a little bit further. Just keep moving forward and God will be with you and his grace will sustain you. T. Marsh wrote this on the fullness that is in Christ. He said, in Christ there is peace, therefore trust him. There is life, therefore abide in him. There is blessing, therefore delight in him. There is light, therefore follow him. There is power, therefore wait on him. There is truth, therefore learn from him. There is grace, therefore receive from him. There is joy, therefore rejoice in him. There is strength, therefore lean on him. Because everything we need will be found in Christ. So the wise person is going to strive to refuse to be distracted. And the goal is to finish the race. And to finish the race, we need to set our attention on Jesus. Now I refer from time to time to John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And in it, in one particular part in it, Christian and faithful uh, have to go through Vanity Fair, where they're offered all sorts of vanity. Christians and faithful's response is instructive for us. Here's what they said. These pilgrims set very light by all their ways. They cared not so much as to look upon them, and if they called upon them to buy, they would put their fingers in their ears and cry, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and look upwards, signifying that their trade and their traffic was in heaven. That's what we've got to learn to do as well. May we as pilgrims, like those in Vanity Fair and those in Vanity Town, practice a heavenward look and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now let me give you a word of warning here. There are a lot of things that you could focus on in your life that might be good. They're not inherently evil, but they're not the right things for you. They're not God's will for your life. In the same way, there are a lot of good things that we could focus on as a church that would be good, but they might not be what we need to be doing at the moment. So the question must continually be asked, what do we do that is distinctive of being a Christian church, driven by the Word, empowered by the Spirit, that is non-negotiable? Like, like what characterizes who we are and primarily what we're to be about uh, as a church? And then we've got to be able to say no to a lot of extraneous things that aren't helpful for the mission. And sometimes saying no is painful. Sometimes quitting certain things that we're doing that we've done in the past uh, is not always easy because we don't like change. But we have to change and prune and grow and shape and, and be sure that we're in a position where the Lord is doing those things in our lives. Fix your gaze straight ahead. We need a clear direction. And then secondly, carefully consider the path. Look now at verse 26. Carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. The first point emphasizes a clear direction. This point emphasizes an intentional purpose. What is God's purpose for your life? What is it that gives shape and meaning to who you are and what you're pursuing? 
We're not going to answer that all exactly the same. Yes, we're going to answer it to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Yes, we're going to answer it to do God's will for our lives. But then there's going to be some variation because how God's naturally gifted, how God has spiritually gifted you, the opportunities and the experiences that He's given you, the education that you've had an opportunity for, every aspect of your life, your relationships, it all comes together as a part of your purpose. And to have a purpose is to have meaning. And to implement wisdom, you need a purpose. Now, when you're walking, you typically consider where you're stepping so you don't stumble. Spiritually, the principle is applicable here as well. Listen to what Ephesians 5 and verse 15 and 16 says. Paul's writing, and he says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. There are dangerous traps from the enemy that we need to look out for. And to make it safely through, we need to be careful. We need to know what direction we're going in. We need to know the power that will get us there. We need to use our time wisely. We need to understand the will of the Lord and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you know that people in ancient times, they didn't generally just go for walks for fun or for exercise. And the reason they didn't is because they didn't need to. They actually, most of them worked physically. And it sufficed for that. When they were walking, they were going in a direction to reach a destination. And when he says, carefully consider the path for your feet, look at how you're walking, he's doing this in contrast to the Gentiles. The Gentiles represent people who are not in Christ, who walked in the futility of their minds, in the darkness of their hearts. And he says, you better make the best use of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. You need wisdom to live properly. And to redeem the time means to buy it back. Now, I think that the most important resource that we have is time. Now, we could argue health, and we could argue some other things that are also important resources. I'm not arguing against those, but I'm saying the most important resource that we have is time because it's here and then it's gone. You talk about saving time. You can't really save time. You can work through more quickly something that you have to do in the allotted time that you have, but you're not really saving time because time's still passing. It's gone. You can't bank it up in in that sense. So we need to be sure that we're understanding that life is a vapor and this time that we have is, is limited and seize the opportunities for God's purposes because the path of God's purpose for your life is not necessarily going to be the easy path. Some of you may be Marvel fans and if you're not a Marvel fan, you might still be familiar with the name Chadwick Boseman. Uh, Chadwick Boseman uh, was the star of Black Panther, and he passed away of cancer at the age of 43. What you might not know about Chadwick Boseman was that he grew up in a Baptist church. He professed faith in Jesus Christ at an early age, and the pastor of that church said that he was always faithful. Pretty much anything that they were doing, Chadwick Boseman wanted to be involved in it. Well, he was asked, because of his success in uh, the film industry, and the fact that he was a, a, a graduate of Howard University to share some wisdom in a commencement address in 2018. And I want to share just a short excerpt of what Chadwick Bozeman said in that commencement address. He said, sometimes you need to feel the pain and sting of defeat to activate the real passion and purpose that God predestined inside of you. When God has something for you, it doesn't matter who stands against it. God will move someone that's holding you back away from that door and he will put someone there who will open it for you if it's meant for you. He said, I don't know your future, but if you're willing to take the harder way, the more complicated one, 
the one with more failures than successes, the one that has ultimately proven to have more meaning and more victory and more glory, then you will not regret it. And I would concur with that. The purpose we have in this life as we walk the path is to glorify God and enjoy fellowship with Him. And from there, you serve in your family, among your friends, in your vocation, in the church, in the world, and you see your life as an act of service to God. Carefully consider the path because we need an intentional purpose. And then third and finally, keep your feet away from evil. Let's read verse 27. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. I believe this indicates a transformed life. And there's an interesting shift here that you might not have noticed. Proverbs 4 ends with a note of caution. He's laid the foundation. He's presented wisdom. And wisdom, of course, is personified in Christ. And now he says, you want to be cautious here because it's possible to swerve from a God-intended path and to go to the right or to the left. Solomon certainly learned that lesson the hard way, did he not, later on in his life? When he wrote Ecclesiastes, he expressed how important it is to honor God above all else and how so much of life turns out to be vanity and uh, chasing after the wind. And the warning we're given here is not to turn to the right or to the left. So what are we being warned of not turning away from? Well, the answer's right in front of us. It's wisdom. We're being warned not to turn from the right to the right or the left away from God's wisdom for our lives. Psalm 147 in verse 5 says that his understanding, God's understanding, is infinite. Amos 5 in verse 14 says, Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live, and then the Lord God of heaven's armies will be your helper, just as you have claimed. So God's wisdom is deep, and his actions are always per perfectly consistent with his character. And the warning is, keep your feet away from evil. What is evil? Evil is anything that contrasts or contradicts with the holy nature of God. So ultimately, it's anything that's wrong, anything that's sinful, anything that could cause harm. And this idea comes up several times in, in Proverbs. And the reason being is, when our minds are captured by evil... It's going to affect our motivation, which is in the heart. And that's going to affect your feet and your hands, what you actually do. Why did Jesus instruct us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, deliver us from the evil one? Because there's an evil one who seeks to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take from us, but Jesus gives us life and life abundant. So our feet should follow where our heart and our mind and our eyes already are. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And God's will is that we be conformed to the image of Jesus. And I believe to keep your feet away from evil is the indication of a transformed life. So let's put these together. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on a particular point that particular point is to be jesus in the wisdom of god as you do that and evaluate that wisdom that god's given you carefully consider your path 
think about the direction you're going in. What's your purpose? Why do you call yourself a Christian if you are a Christian? What do you want God to accomplish through you? And then keep your feet away from evil. And I say this in closing, move forward and only look back to see how far you've come. We need to look back. We're looking back today. We're looking back at 2023. That look back at 2023 is not confined to 2023 because we also understand that the blessings we experienced in 2023 are building on things that this church has experienced since 1959. And we're just stepping into the river of God's will. We're saying, Lord, here we are in this time, in this particular moment, in this year that you've blessed us, and we want to make a difference in your kingdom. And here we are serving the Lord and doing that, looking back, evaluating, but moving forward to see where we're going. Now back to this metaphor of the promised land. The promised land is a metaphor for the Christian life with some differences in the sense that the ultimate promised land is going to be free from sin and focused on the Savior. Here in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing an old song entitled on Jordan's stormy banks I stand or you might know it as I am bound for the promised land who will come and go with me for I am bound for the promised land this bar has to get